You are listening to The Music Room with Aileen Miracle. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 34 of The Music Room. This is Aileen, and today I'm excited to talk to you about three new things I tried this year. So last summer, like I talked about in previous podcast episodes, I took this Dominican University class, which allows you to really create like an independent study of projects or lessons or whatever that you're going to work on over the summer. I can link to the course in the show notes. And it was really great to really look at my year as a whole and really plan it out more effectively. So I actually am going to take the class again. I was kind of going back and forth about whether or not I would do it, but I am going to do it this year because even though I have level three at Capital University that I am teaching, I think I'm going to do some work, of course, for school this summer, so I might as well get the graduate credit for it. But anyway, last summer when I was able to work on it, it just really helped me, like I said, see the year as a whole. So in my work last summer, I started researching differentiation a little bit more. And one thing that I happened upon was this video by the Brown Big teacher about differentiated math centers. And I realized I could actually do something really similar with differentiated centers in my music room, which I was really excited about because I've heard a lot of music teachers talk about differentiation and how what we do when we present material in a physical way, in a visual way, in an aural way, kinesthetic, all of that, that that's differentiation. And I agree it is, but I really think we could go further with it. So with this video by the Brown Bag teacher, she talked about creating different levels for your students. So you could do some kind of pretest. So in my room, I just did like a smart board game. I've done this with rhythm and melody. So let's say it's for like tickety. I did a rhythm identification game. And I took down how all of the students did. And like I've talked about before, you can just write the kids who are absent and then either on your seating chart or in a little notebook, you can write down the names of students who are not answering correctly. And at the end of the assessment, you know, if you see four minuses next to Susie's name, then you know that she's really struggling. I did this pretest and then I used that data to figure out what my different levels were. So instead of me telling a student you're at level one or you're at level two or you're at level three, the brown bag teacher, her name is Catherine, her idea was to give different colors. So the kids don't really know what the colors mean. They just know that when they get to that center, they're supposed to do that color task. So I used blue for level one, green for level two, and pink for level three. So in one lesson, I did this pretest, which literally took, you know, five to 10 minutes, depending on what the pretest is, not paper pencil, although you could do that. And then in the next lesson, I gave them slips of paper that were that different color. So if they were pink, they got a pink slip of paper with their name on it. If they're green, they got a green slip of paper. And then I told them that for the centers that have different colors at that center, you're supposed to do the task with that color to make sure they're getting their just right challenge. That's what she calls it, the just right challenge. So just to give you an idea of how you could differentiate centers in your room, you don't have to differentiate every single center. I have at some points, you know, maybe just two to three or four centers out of, let's say, six centers that are differentiated. So maybe some of the centers are just normal centers and some of them are differentiated. So what I did is, let's say for rhythm, you could have a center that has rhythm cards where students have to play the rhythm patterns on non-pitch percussion, but you could have easier patterns for level one, intermediate patterns for level two, and more difficult patterns for level three. So let's say you're practicing tickety, then an easier one 
for a level one could be like ta ta tickety ta or you could even take them back to the rhythm before that it could be ta ta ti tickata or ta ta ticka ticka ta and then a level three rhythm pattern might be ticka 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 ti ti ticka ta or something like that right something a lot more difficult so i had different rhythm cards with different colors and the students knew to go to their color and play their patterns another idea is you can do rhythm dice I just got blank dice from Amazon and I had students roll the dice. And for level one, maybe all of the rhythms written with dry erase marker with Sharpie on all of the dice. And they, on a worksheet, have to write, or on a dry erase board or however you want to do it, have to write that pattern. So level one, the dice has something on every single side. But maybe for level two, some of the dice have one side missing where the students have to improvise a rhythm there. And then level three, you could have more blanks. You could also do this where all of the dice have something on every single side, but the level three dice just have more difficult rhythms. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. Moving on to melody, if you want some melodic examples of how to differentiate with centers. For instrument playing, let's say you're practicing la with your first or second graders. For level one, maybe you just have a song with so and me where they have to figure out how to play it on a barred instrument or orf instrument, knowing, let's say, that G is so. And then for level two, maybe they have to figure out something like bounce high where you have a so la, so me pattern. And then for level three, maybe they have to figure out doggy doggy where it's so me la, so me or something like that. So again, just getting progressively more difficult. And then for melodic reading for level one, you could go back to that idea of flashcards. For level one, Maybe you have stick notation with contour, so the so's look higher than the me's. And then for level two, it's stick notation, but there's no contour, it's just in a straight line. And then level three could be staff notation. So just, you know, you could break down any concept into what's a little bit easier and then what's a little bit more difficult, and then give that task with that color to the students. After doing this, I felt like students were really getting their just right challenge and I felt like I was really meeting them where they were instead of expecting everyone to do the same thing. When I did it, I had students choose which centers to go to. Now you could do this where like the centers that are differentiated, they had to go to it. I was kind of experimenting and tried a few different things. However you do it, whether or not you're having students choose or you're not having them choose and they just have to go to whichever ones you tell them to and they rotate after five minutes or whatever, I think really meeting them where they are. I do have some differentiated centers for rhythm. I have a bundle in my TPT store that I can link to in the show notes. And if you're looking for the show notes, you can go to Mrs. Miracles musicroom.com and then click on podcast and then click on podcast 34. All right, so that's the first new thing I tried this year and I really liked it. Next, project-based learning, also known as PBL. So last summer when I was taking the Dominican University of California course, as part of that, I took an online course about project-based learning that I found really helpful. So the idea of PBL or project-based learning, this is the definition from Edutopia. Project-based learning is a dynamic classroom approach in which students actively explore real-world problems and challenges and acquire a deeper knowledge. So as part of my work last summer, like I said, I took this course and then I read some about PBL and I listened to some podcasts. I can link to one in the show notes that I listened to by Anna Krusik, who's another music teacher, Anna Lesky. She had a classroom teacher on her podcast to talk about PBL. So I just read a little bit and listened a little bit and then took this course. And it worked out really well because I had one third grade class and one fourth grade class that I saw twice every rotation instead of once. So I I had a little bit more wiggle room with them to try something new. So with third grade, I tried this project, which I 
got from Midnight Music. I actually got the idea originally from Emily Karst, who's been on the podcast before. We talked about this project in our Steam episode, which I can link to in the show notes. But then I looked it up on the Midnight Music website. It's called Mickey Mouse in the Haunted House. And it's not strictly PBL, but it could easily be made into PBL. So I think the way that I did it, it wasn't strictly PBL, but I think just a few extra steps in it could have been. So the idea is that students are split into small groups and they decide how to score this short film, Mickey Mouse in the Haunted House, with musical instruments, sounds around the room, that kind of thing. And each group gets just like a small portion of the film to work on, and then you put it all together. So the students have all this time to figure out how they want to score their part of the film. After they've kind of polished that, then you perform as one group from start to finish. So the kids who aren't performing yet, they just have to sit and wait for their part. And then after we did that the first time, we sat and reflected about what worked well, what didn't, what do you think you would change? And then I gave them time to revise their work. And after that, then we did it again and I recorded it. And I'm actually getting ready to share it with parents pretty soon here. It was a lot of fun. They came up with some really creative ideas about how to score. I had some students who were using paper to crumple up and rip to sound like bats flying. And, you know, students were using tons of different instruments around the room. My thunder tube was being used, my gong, all sorts of stuff. Some kids were playing piano. There is a part of the short film where they play piano. So the students were just improvising music on the piano to go along with it. It was so cool. So I really enjoyed that. And so did they. With fourth grade, I tried a symphony orchestra PBL in which students chose a theme for their concert. So they had all these different themes to choose from like Halloween, Christmas, space themed, There were a few different themes that they could choose from. And then they chose pieces for that theme that they liked. So I'd created these playlists that they could just sit on Chromebooks or iPads and listen to a bunch of symphony orchestra music and decide which ones they really liked. But then math came into it. I had in the playlist, they could see how long each piece was. So then they had to add together the minutes and seconds and figure out how long their program was, which was interesting. They got into some long division, which they had actually not done yet with their classroom teacher. And then they had to revise it from there because their program was supposed to be between 40 to 50 minutes long. And most of the time when they did the math, they were way under, usually they were under, not over, but brought in some math integration, which was really cool. And it was so cool to just see them listening to symphony orchestra music and being like, oh, I really like that piece. That one's really cool. And writing it down and then listening to another one and deciding you know, what they liked and what they didn't and what they thought would fit together well to be a cohesive orchestra program. I think in the future, what I'd like to do is pair it with a symphony orchestra concert field trip. So that's part of PBL is that you kind of bring that real world experience into it. So it could have been the entry event where students went to a symphony orchestra concert and it would be even better if the concert had some kind of theme, right? And then you start this project or it could be like a culminating event. And another way to make it more real world and have those connections is if I had been able to Skype with a orchestra manager or an orchestra conductor or something like that, I wasn't able to do that. But that's where that real world connection comes in and can be really powerful. I do have this PBL in my store. If you're interested in checking it out, I can link to that in the show notes as well. And it's one of those things where there's not a ton of things out there for PBL in the music room. So I've really just kind of been experimenting and trying different things out, but it's been a lot of fun. And I feel like those aha moments happen more. And I think when kids are able to connect it to the real world, it's just that much more impactful. 
All right. And then the third new thing that I tried this year was an escape room. So this was inspired by Carrie from Music Teacher Coffee Talk. She had a video, I think on Instagram originally or Facebook, but I can link to, I think the Facebook one I'll link to in the show notes. But she just walked through how she put together an escape room for the music room. And I was really intrigued by this idea because I'd heard about escape rooms. I'd heard more of doing it in the classroom, but I had heard a couple people talking about it in the music room, but I just was trying to wrap my mind around how I would do this in the music classroom. And then she put this video out. So I watched the video and I really like thought about, okay, these are great ideas. How would I like to do this in my room? So I brainstormed and I watched a few more videos and then I developed some tasks for students to do. So the way that I do an escape room, they have five different tasks they have to do. And then they get a letter at the end of each task. And then those letters, you unscramble to form some kind of word. And I even bought a letter lock. So then students put that word into the letter lock and they unlock the box and then they find out what happens and how they are going to escape the room or what they're going to do when they do escape the room. There's a lot of things I had to figure out. Like I had to figure out obviously what the tasks were, what the word would be, which tasks would use technology and which ones wouldn't. And then for the ones that didn't use technology, how they were getting their letters. So it was a lot of setup. And I also created a video with a timer so students would know how much time was left and it really helps keep them on track. And it was also the premise of this is why you're escaping the room. I had a story with it that I put into the video. But there was so much buy-in. The kids loved it and were so excited. And I actually had kids ask about it all year. So I actually just did another escape room, my end of the year escape room that I've been doing with third, fourth, and fifth grade. And also that's been a big hit. So I do have some escape room sets in my store, including an end of the year escape room. And I can link to that in the show notes. But if you're trying to figure out, okay, how could I make this work in my classroom? I am planning on having an escape room challenge sometime this summer. I was hoping that I'd be able to give you dates, but that's still kind of up in the air. But for this challenge, it's a five-day challenge in which I will send out an email every day with strategies for doing an escape room in your music room. And I'll also have a Facebook Live every day. So if you're interested in that, you can visit this link bit.ly slash music escape challenge. I'll repeat that just in case you're in the car and hopefully it can, please don't like try to write it down while you're driving. But again, it's bit.ly slash music escape challenge. So if you go to that link, you can go ahead and sign up. And then, like I said, once I verify the dates, I'm going to do it. I'll send out an email so that you know when to expect that. Those of you who have done five-day challenges with me before, this will be similar to like the five-day musical program challenge or five-day assessment challenge. It's a lot of fun. All right, so those were the three new things I tried this year, the differentiated centers, project-based learning, and an escape room. I felt like those three things helped me make sure that I was meeting students where they were. I was getting kids really excited about what they were doing in music class, and there was more buy-in because they had more ownership. So some things I'd like to try next year, I want to do more project-based learning, especially with classes that I'm only seeing once every rotation instead of twice. I want to figure out how to integrate that into my Kodai-inspired lessons so that I can do both. I want to try a singing games night. I got that idea from Tanya from Music Teacher Coffee Talk. She did a session at the OAKE conference, and I'm thinking I might try that instead of the informants that I usually do every year, just to mix it up and do something different. And then I would like to revamp some of my song literature to include more songs from other countries and other cultures and really look at making sure I am purposeful in the literature that I'm choosing and that it's of the highest quality and that it's exposing kids to 
other countries and other cultures and other ways of doing things and other types of music. So I know it's probably a crazy time of the year with it being the end of the year, but I think it's a good practice to think about what did you do this year that worked really well? And then think about what do I want to try next year? What do I want to explore and see how it could work in my music room? And even if it's just one thing, that's totally fine. But I think it's just good to think about what worked well and then looking forward to next year, what would I like to try? All right, so let's talk about what I'm consuming. I actually just bought the book, Creating Cultures of Thinking, which was recommended to me by Katie and by Vince, who Katie and I are working with as part of the elementary music department. So the book is called Creating Cultures of Thinking, Eight Forces We Must Master to Truly Transform Our Schools by Ron Richard. And again, I can link to that in the show notes. It's the same author who wrote Making Thinking Visible, which is also a really great text. So I just read a little bit of it, but so far I really enjoyed it. In the first part of the book, they're talking about really thinking about what experiences you've had that have been really positive. When, it, when you think about collaboration and working with a team, what kind of factors went into making it a great experience? And I actually thought of the collaboration I've been doing as part of the State of Ohio Music Revision Committee. That has been such great work, and I feel like everyone's been so respectful with each other and really listening to each other. And so that was cool to have an experience pretty recently that was really positive that I could relate it to. So I am excited to dig into that book. Thank you so much for listening today. I know it's a crazy time of the year, but I appreciate you listening. Make sure to subscribe in iTunes if you haven't yet so that you get a notification when I post a new podcast episode. Have a wonderful day.